Good morning. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls Fellowship. And uh, if you are new and visiting with us this morning, whether you are here uh, from Michigan or Indiana now with a visiting family, or whether you're Sean's friend and you came here this morning, or if you bought a house from Mark and you're checking out the church this morning, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Uh, I wanted to add to, to, to uh, Stephen's announcement, we have this Connect class that's about connecting and plugging in. It's about the life that God is bringing in our community and how we participate in it together. And so if you are interested in that, if you have questions about what goes on here in the life of the church, about what we believe, uh, about what it means to belong here, to serve here, to be transformed here, I want to invite you uh, to reach out. If you're not available to come today at 12.30, that's okay. You can come later on. If you can't make the next four Sundays in the month of May, that's okay. Reach out. We'll find a time to connect, to answer your questions, to tell the story of what we think God is doing here. Uh, because we want you to know and we want to remind ourselves. We want to live in that space of what God is doing instead of in our own space and according to our own plans. We're in the middle, uh, middle, we're in the beginning of the book of Mark in chapter 4. We picked our study back up and we'll be in Mark for the next few weeks into mid-June sometime when we'll transition to a summer series. But we are, are looking at a passage here today that contains one of Jesus' many parables. So if you haven't been around church for a long time, the word parable may be foreign to you because we don't talk a lot about parables here, but you know what parables are. Uh, because even if you haven't been in the church, you know what a good Samaritan is. Uh, you know parables like the story of the tortoise and the hare. You know uh, the story of uh, the mustard seed and the faith that can move mountains. And you know the story like today of the sower and the seeds, especially if you've been in church. So it's not, it, parables are well known, and it, yet they're simple. Uh, we could teach them to our kids, but then also... Uh, and they're really easy to kind of grasp what they're getting at, but they're also challenging. If we really do see what they are and what they mean, they're challenging, they discomfort, they disorient, they disrupt us. And as we saw last week, they should, right? Because there's a secret hidden in them, there's goodness hidden in them about who God is and who we are and how we meet together in that place, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And some of be Jesus' best teachings about himself and about the kingdom are contained in his parables. A parable is more than just words. It's a picture. It's meant at doing more than just engaging your head, but engaging your heart. And ultimately your hands and your feet and your wallet and your calendar the words that you use with yourself and with others, your habits, your hobbies, it's meant to transform everything about you and give life. It becomes a, a picture that more than just a teaching can become something that we live into. We inhabit. We incarnate this potential. We make our life around it. If you've ever tried to tell somebody and convince them something about your favorite movie, you've probably found that the arguments fall flat. It's one of those things where you just have to see it if you're going to enter into its reality. Same thing with our favorite restaurants. I can describe it to you, but unless you have community cues, mac and cheese, like you're just not going to get it. Okay? It's plain. It's a picture. 
It's simple yet rich. It challenges us. It's the best teachings about Jesus. And they make the kingdom and the life of the king three-dimensional. The parables give breadth and depth to what Jesus is teaching about himself and teaching about us. Just this last week on Twitter, there was a, a post from BuzzFeed about the Harry Potter characters. Somebody took AI computer learning and CGI and applied it to the descriptions of the Harry Potter characters in the books and said, this is what the picture the book is painting. Uh, but oddly enough, they look just like the characters from the movie, so I'm not really sure what kind of coding they did there. And, then, and it reminded me, too, you've seen this with historical figures. We all think about George Washington, you know, like on the front of a boat in the Delaware, or like riding a horse, or maybe even kneeling to pray beside a horse. We had that one in our living room growing up. Uh, but then when you see the CGI George Washington, and the shape, and the bumps, and, and all that kind of stuff, he's not just this regal picture anymore. Now he's real, and it may not be all the things that you think about him. Similarly with us, when we see the kingdom in this three dimension, we see its depth and we, its breadth, there should be things about it that challenge us. There should be things about it that we don't know were there. Because ultimately the parables, just like the life of Jesus, is coming to do for us and in us what we can't do on our own. So if you hear a parable and you look at it and you say, yep, I've got all that figured out already, then maybe you don't. Maybe we don't. Because the point of the parables, especially this one that we'll see here, because this parable is about parables. It's about who we are and our response to Jesus for sure. It's also about who Jesus is, revealing his identity. But it's also about the work that he has come to do and the way that he works and comes to us. And the way and the ways he comes to us is through parables. To confuse and disorient us on purpose that, like his disciples in this passage, we will come nearer. There's a scene in the office where uh, Michael Scott, there's a surplus in, in the place, so he meets with one of the accountants, and the accountant explains to him what the surplus is so that he can make a decision. He says, cool, 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 I, yeah, I get that, but um, explain a surplus to me like I'm 10. So then he goes through and explains it again, and then after that he goes, oh, yeah, I see now, but explain it to me like I'm 5. <laughs> and for us, the more we get... Jesus, the more his life gets into us, the more like a five-year-old we become, the more we're reborn again and starting over, the more we reroot ourselves and open ourselves to the seed of life that only he can plant, to the roots that only he can grow, to the fruit that only he can bring forth in our life. In this passage, even the disciples don't get it. Saying, Jesus, what was that that you were trying to get to in the passage? And he says, come nearer. And let me tell you, this parable and all of life is about that nearness with Jesus. The parable, sure, it reveals our hearts, reveals our challenges, reveals things about the world around us. But ultimately, it reveals who Jesus is. It shows us our heart and our need, but it also heals us. It shows us our hunger and our thirst, and it satisfies us. It disrupts and disorients us, but it also reroots us and brings understanding. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4, or the passage is printed in the worship guide. Follow along as I read for us. 
Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teachings said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me as I pray. God, you know our hearts and the places that are filled with rocks. You know our lives and the desires and thorns that creep in and choke us out. You know the shallow places where we have no roots to withstand your life coming in. And still, Lord, you know the world and the work that needs doing, those hardened places where the seed has no receptivity. And our prayer today, God, is that like the disciples, we would draw near and you would explain it to us like we are five, that we might grow and bear the fruit that only you can bring in our lives for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Twice this week, I had the occasion to spend time uh, with others around the dinner table, having friends over uh, one time and then eating out with another. And inevitably, as the conversation about everything that's going on recently fades away, we begin to start talking about movies and restaurants. And in the conversations about movies in restaurants, you're kind of always trying to share a movie or something that nobody else has experienced. You're trying to support it and rave about it. You've become a believer, a disciple, a follower. You're trying to sell all your possessions and follow that way. And ultimately, what I've learned over the years is that when you talk to somebody about movies, 
or restaurants, what you learn from them has much less to do about the movies and restaurants they're describing than it does about them. I've learned the eternal truth that anybody who denies that Back to the Future is an all-time great film should not be trusted, or anybody who enjoyed Frozen 2. And you should never trust the palate of a skinny person or someone who dines at Subway, and you know who you are. In these situations, we're always reminded and we find something out, especially when we have conversations about what's the best or what's the worst and what we love or what we hate. Again, we always tend to find out more about the person than the thing being described, which is kind of what Jesus is getting at here when he says, if you don't get this parable, you're not going to get the rest of them and there's going to be a lot of them. Because this parable is about how you respond to me and my teaching. Me and the kingdom that comes like a seed, not like an election, not like a new business with angel investors. It doesn't come in all these other means that the world champions. It comes like a seed. And what we see in this parable tells us a lot about the reactions of others. We learn a lot about the different people and the way that they receive the parable, which is what the parable is getting at too. When it comes to the teaching of scriptures, if you've ever been in a Bible study, the first questions are always kind of what's in the passage, right? It's really neutral because the answers are all just things you just read, you copy and paste. And then once you're warmed up writing things down, the next set of questions is what do you see in the world? How do you see this playing out in the world? And again, when you see somebody describing the condition of the world around us, oftentimes it reveals more about that person what they're sensitive to, what they long for, what they have a good read on, than what the world might actually be like. And still there's more, there's deeper. The next layer of questions asks the person, well, what about you? Where do you see yourself in this passage, in good and bad ways? And, and similarly here, we, when you hear somebody share about themselves, you can hear a lot about what it is that they value what it is that they despise, what it is that they think is important or not so much, and yet there's more. And the third or fourth final reaction, the good soil, the true disciples of Jesus, those who lean in to be near to him, who abide and remain with him, the, the true disciples we see in scripture and the ones you know from your own experience, the people who have had a deep impact on you, who have given their fruit away for your sake, when we see those people, when they're talking about the world or when they're talking about themselves, you always see something else. You see Jesus. Because it's not about them and their response or receptivity, but about the one who keeps giving himself to them. Sure, they can read the Bible and see on every page the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus coming through. Sure, they can be honest and diagnose and share those wounded places, like Rusty said in his prayer, to show the scars. But ultimately what you see in all of that is the seed of life, Jesus Christ. When you are with somebody presently in that powerful way, you leave having been in the presence of Jesus. 
This parable teaches us about the world, and it teaches us about ourselves. We can diagnose and see where we are in here. But ultimately, this passage is trying to teach us about Jesus and our need of him and his sufficiency to meet that need. I've been mowing lawns since I was seven years old. And I wasn't born knowing how to mow lawns or when or anything like that. Somebody had to tell me and show me. And then after I'd mowed lawns and even started a business, uh, I kind of knew how to mow a lawn. But one thing I was missing was I didn't know when to mow the lawn. Somebody kind of always had to remind me. And then when I got my first house, then I figured out when you mow the lawn, every time my neighbors gave me that side eye. And even then, I couldn't figure out with the lawn why some patches need to be mowed more than others. And in 2019, we had a a bit of transition and confusion, disruption here in our midst. I I experienced it personally and in my community here at the church, and then we went through a pastoral transition here as well. And so in all those places, though I had learned that I need to make sure that the lawn gets mowed often enough not for anybody to notice, uh, then I, I ran out of time. I was never home, and I had no time to tend to the boundaries of my property and the life that God had given me. Until my neighbors lovingly called the city. And then I was reminded, okay, I need to tend to this soil. So then in 2020, the opposite happened. I was at home more than ever. I had more time on my hands than I knew what to do with. And I had come to learn that in my yard, the places where it was just grass didn't need mowing as often. But the places where all the weeds had crept in needed all kinds of attention. They were demanding my time and my energy, and I had to give my life over to them over and over and over again. So I did what anyone would do. I got onto YouTube, and I made myself a grass expert. And I learned there in the spring of 2020 something I'd never known before. Maybe you know this so you can laugh at me. When you want to cultivate the life of a plant, whether it's grass or something that produces something to eat or it's just something for beauty to go in your garden, when you want to cultivate that plant, you can do very little to the plant itself. The only things you can do to the plant itself is to prune it back, so that new growth and fruitfulness can come and to harvest the fruit. So that, again, it would grow deeper and not preserve its nutrients and its life for the sake of the fruit that's there. But if you want to grow, especially something that's not there yet, you can't deal with the plant itself. You have to cultivate the soil. In my front yard, there's not a lot of trees, and on my street, not a lot of trees in all of the yard. And something that has to happen for trees to have, for grass and dirt to have all the nutrients that it needs, something has to fall and die. Leaves from the trees and branches or animals have to fall and give up their life that their nutrients would be enjoyed by the dirt. So in my house, we set out first to pull or kill all the weeds that were there. Then to deal with the seeds of the weeds that were already present. Then to go in and create room and space for the grass by pulling out the rocks and the sticks, by filling in the low spots that were getting chewed up by the lawnmower. And then ultimately we had to spray nutrients that had come from some other dead thing. 
We had to bring in the fruit and the seeds from somewhere else to bring it in that the soil would have everything that it needed and then we had to wait. Just this last year, we experienced another season of disruption. Uh, my sister passed away and we all caught COVID the same week. And so I missed the time in the late summer, early fall where you put down your pre-emergent and you, and you put in all the nutrients that the soil needs. And so sure enough, a few months ago, our lawn has been taken over by weeds again. And so I went back to YouTube and then I rented a bobcat. And we plowed those weeds. And something that I found in the backyard was this that, that in our backyard where we had all these trees that were taken out over the years, when you, when you dig in the front yard and you go deep, you only get beyond a couple inches before you reach nutrient-free dirt. Like it's just, it's, it's brown, or it's red, it's dry, there's no life in there, it doesn't stick together. But in the backyard where the trees were and they were producing the fruit of their leaves and the pine straw over and over again for 30, 60, 80, 90 years... When you dig in deep to the dirt there, we had six feet of black, deep, rich soil. So we brought that up to the front. We planted our seeds. And now I have the cutest little seed lawn that you ever did see. In this passage, the four types of soils... And the responses to them, it tells us a lot about the responses there. It tells us about herself. It tells us about the world. But ultimately, the, the only point, the only thing that matters is getting to the seed, which is Jesus. But we want to start where Jesus starts and to go through these. The first, the hardened soil of the world. When we see that the, that the seed is thrown, sown on the path, you automatically think of a sidewalk or a road or something like that, Right? But in the ancient world, this wouldn't have been like a cultivated stone concrete path. This would have been referring to the dirt path lining the outside of the field where the farmer had walked the field over and over again to sow the seed, letting some catch on the path. The path that that had been exposed, just like if you go to my backyard now, I told you nutrient rich, but there's nothing to cover it now. And so there's all kinds of stuff that have dropped and just laid on top of that soil, but it's not yet dying off and reinvigorating the soil. And so my backyard is this weird gray color, and there's cracks all through in it, and dryness, and it doesn't look like life at all. And in our world, and those who don't come to see or hear Jesus, those who are outside, The life of the world has compacted the soil. It's made the soil sure of itself and who it is and how the world works and how we're going to cultivate beauty and goodness and flourishing in the world. It gets compacted by the weight of pain and suffering in the world. It gets compacted by our own bad ideas and our own failures. It also gets compacted by our own successes, but it gets compacted and weighted down and closed off. St. Augustine said that sin is the estate of being collapsed and turned in on oneself, not open and receptive to life from God or from others. 
But Jesus said, those that are on the outside, those in the world are this compacted soil. So then how does it open back up? If we left my backyard alone in 20, 30, 60 years, however long it would take for the fruit of all the trees around it to drop on and die and give their life for the sake of the dirt, eventually it would become rich and good again. But Jesus has come and brought himself. In John, Jesus says that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not reproduce. Its power will be kept hidden and locked inside that acorn. But if the fruit does fall and gives its life, then the hardened places in the world can become soft and receptive to the seed of the sower. Our vision here at All Souls is to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. We build relationships and connection here to foster God's, uh, to, to be receptive to God's spirit in the way that he's moving here, to build our connections with God, ourselves, and with one another. That the, the spirit would bring the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selflessness, self-control. We do all of this not just for us, not just because it falls on our ground and brings life, but we do it so that we would go and take that fruit to the hardened world around us. But if you have no fruit to bear, then we have nothing to offer. We talk about evangelism sometimes and outreach here at the church, and oftentimes what people want and they ask for is they want knowledge, they want information, they want to be able to navigate a difficult conversation. But that's just showing up with one of those, I don't know what it's called, but it's the thing you bang on the ground to make it flat, and it's square and it has a handle. That's the one. We want a tamper. We want the kingdom to be a boulder. We want the kingdom to be a sword. We want the kingdom to be power. We want the kingdom to be riches. We want to come in and be successful by all the means of the world. We don't want to seed. We surely don't want to have to die that anybody else would live. But the way of the kingdom is that God has died that we would live and produce the fruit that the hardened places need to be made new and receptive again. You don't need a tool. The tool is the story that he's already put in you. The ways that you were rocky, the thorns that you faced, the things that you gave into, and the way God met you in joy and assurance nonetheless. All you have to do is tell that story. If we don't have relationships with people outside of this community, then we have no space to tell that story. We'll be like one of those, I have this uh, rose bush that we moved and, and it's dying off because it's full of flowers, but it needs to grow deeper roots. Remember the only thing you do to the plant is harvest and get pruned. Everything else is attending the soil. By serving with VBS, by loving our neighbors, by creating space where we invite them in, where we get to know them and are known by them, being honest with our stories, it's a way that we scatter the fruit, that the seed would multiply and make soft the ground around us.
The next two soils that Jesus has in mind are not the world, but rather the crowd that's gathered around him. And we are that crowd. You're not so hardened that you found an excuse to not be here this morning. So you and I, we are part of the crowd. But within the crowd, the receptivity also reveals something about us. The two groups that Jesus has in mind are the places where the seed takes root in the shallow soil that's full of rocks, and it starts out with joy and excitement. But then the scorching sun comes and it withers away because it has no roots. It has no depth. The seed of life is being stunted by the rocky things. This is a, a problem of depth. It's one thing to come to church and to be known and to be celebrated to come and have fellowship, to have people love on your kids, to have a place to serve, to have air conditioning cranked down to 68. It's one thing to have all of that, but it's another thing to have the rootedness of the life of Jesus. The crowd is there with him enjoying the same meal, but not everyone is drawing near. And it's interesting to point out that the, the issue here. And the scorching sun is not the violence, the sin, the evil, the rejection, hardened places of the world. But it says that the scorching sun is the word. We all want to celebrate our belief in God until God has something to do with us. Until he challenges the things that are really close to the center of our heart until he finds and discovers and uncovers those rocks inside, whether it's a belief or a preference or a distraction or a woundedness. I can get along with God's grace, but it just doesn't apply to these pains over here. And we'll remain shallow. We're scorched by the, earth and we'll, by the word and we'll wither. In our confirmation class, the kids are always... One of the things that they say stands out to them the most is when we talk about the visible and the invisible church. Not everyone in the crowd is a disciple. And not all of God's disciples are always on their best behavior. But there's an invitation, regardless of the rocks or the hardened places, to draw nearer. The third soil that he has in mind, and you can think about his disciples and you can also think about uh, his family as we've seen already in Mark. The crowds that gather around, that have deep roots, they are going with him. They have transformed their schedule to be with him. And they have deep roots, but they bear no fruit. The weeds have grown up around them and are choking the fruit out. And the weeds specifically named here are the worries of the day and the world, the deceitfulness of riches and other desires. Jesus may not agree with your retirement plan. He may not agree with your parenting style. He may not agree with the way you plan your schedule. He may not agree with the way that you treat the seed and the word that he has for you. So what kind of weeds grow up? What kind of other desires and preferences are choking you out and killing you? He doesn't desire fruit from you because he's hungry and he needs it. He desires fruit for you because you were made for that. 
But the world is full of thorny voices that say we were made for something else, for success, for prestige, for our kids' accomplishments, for our preferences, for not too much discomfort or disruption. So you can have deep roots, you can have all the head knowledge in the world, but if he doesn't change your heart, if he doesn't give you a picture of fruitfulness, you're going to feel that being choked out. Some of the other desires that he shares here absolutely has in mind experiences of suffering and hardship. Sometimes you're choked out because you can't breathe. Because too many people are passing away or suffering around you. Because something that you've tried to conquer your whole life is just challenging you too much. And God doesn't always explain why that's happening. The word feels like that scorching sun. But the same sun that brings out the nutrients and and reveals the hardness of the soil is the same sun that causes the roots to go deeper, to seek out the water of life, and in those deep roots to bear more fruit. I don't know why God has allowed the things he's allowed to be done by me especially, but then the things to be done to me. But over and over again, what I've seen is it's not because he's not there. It's not because he's not paying attention. It's not because he, he doesn't have a plan to work all things for good. But rather, he's doing that. And what I do know is that he weeps with me. That in his life, where he came and died, I can be made new even in my death, even in my suffering. You see, the last part here, the good soil that produces much fruit, the soil that we all want to be and and believe and practice to have deep roots, to have shade that covers and blocks out the weeds of other people, an umbrella and a canopy that even the birds can come and find their home in. We want to live a life of fruitfulness, even if that requires pruning. We want to grow deep roots and be here for a long time, even if that means the scorching sun of the word. But in all of these places, Jesus is not just getting at diagnosing the world or diagnosing your heart. The rocks that need to be tilled up, the weeds that need to be plucked. What he is trying to show you is the seed, the word of life. Over and over again, Jesus, when talking about the word, is not talking about scripture, but talking about himself. Scripture can give you a two-dimensional understanding of what the life of God in your life is like. But Jesus alone is the interpretation of everything on those pages. He's the only thing that's not only in 3D, but it's a 5D experience. And unless we are with him, we won't survive the sun. We won't bear fruit. The hardness will get us and harden us more. But with him, looking at him, we will be made new. What are the rocky places in your life? The places you're being challenged. 
the things in the scriptures you'd rather not be true. Jesus' command to come and die, rather than come and be made king, come and die, that you're wrestling with. Finding that you're out of control, whether it's your own emotional well-being, your, your mental understanding, your relationships, your power over kids, coworkers, whatever it is. What are those hard, rocky places? We're listening in the parable for the seed, but we're also listening in the rocks for the seed. Because it's the seed, that's the only thing that can change us. What are the thorny places? The shallow places? But ultimately, just one question. Do you see the seed? Jesus doesn't come in power. He doesn't come with a sword. He doesn't come with really coherent and direct and clear arguments. He doesn't come in riches. He doesn't come in all the marks and measures and fruits that only the world desires because the world wants to be highways and byways and paths. But Jesus comes as a seed, the fruit that falls and gives his life to scatter the seed that our hearts and minds would be softened. That the seed would do its work to till up the soil, to bear the fruit, to bring the flourishing. At my yard, we were trying to decide between sod and seed. It was an easy choice because I don't have the money for sod. But I also realized that seed, if you have the time and the space for it, is a better option. You see, the sod you can throw down and think your soil is good enough. And because of the demands of the fully grown grass, it can suck all the nutrients dry. You can bite off more than you can chew. The sod wants more than the ground can offer. And the soil takes more time, takes more effort to plant the seed, to let it grow. Just like being with Jesus versus just performing and pretending takes time, not just with us, but with others. But the seed at my house, although it grows up with the weeds around it, is going to have deeper roots. In that abiding, it will bear much fruit. It will last the winter. It will stand up to the sun. The birds won't come and take it away. Because in the seed is all the life that we need. Those who have ears, let them hear.